Uh, my name is Ken Jenkins. I'm one of the elders at Covenant Church. And uh, when we were putting together this study a while back, uh, I was asked to share on the, the part uh, about the church. We've been using the Apostles' Creed as a framework to teach on some fundamental Christian beliefs. And there are other historical creeds like the Nicene Creed, which came out of the Council of Nicaea. Um, but the Apostles' Creed is the earliest creed, uh, first mentioned in a letter uh, by Ambrose, an early church leader uh, in the 300s AD. So, so what is the creed? The creed is, um, there, was a, there was a statement uh, attributed to St. Augustine that goes like this, in essentials, uh, we should have unity. In non-essentials, we should have liberty. But in all things, we should have charity. So one thing you could say about the Apostles' Creed is that uh, as followers of Christ, it's possible for us to believe more than is in the Apostles' Creed, <clears throat> but we really can't be Christian unless we believe what is contained in the Apostles' Creed. So today, Kyle last week covered uh, our belief in the Holy Spirit. Today I'm going to be covering um, the Holy Catholic Church. But first, uh, pray with me. Lord, we ask you bless our time together today. Bless your church with your presence and your grace, your comfort. Strengthen and encourage us by your Holy Spirit as only you can. We give you all praise, Lord, and worship and thanksgiving. Jesus, knowing that regardless of any circumstances that we may face, you are working all things together for good. For those who love you and are called according to your purposes. So the creed says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And what I hope to do in the time available this morning is help us to understand um, what that means. I really enjoy um, the beautiful architecture and craftsmanship expressed in uh, some of the places where the church meets, such as famous cathedrals. This is one, uh, a picture I took in Prague in the Czech Republic inside uh, uh, one of the churches there. And it may be somewhat cliche to say that the church is not a building, no matter how splendid. It's not an organization established by man. But sadly, the truth is, when many people hear the word church, uh, they immediately think of architecture and religious pageantry. But when Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said to Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He was speaking of something a lot different. He was speaking of something powerful, something spiritual, eternal. The church, which Jesus spoke of, is collectively all those people in all places, throughout all time, that share in the forgiveness, the grace, and the love of God, faith in the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In Ephesians 4, we're told there's one body, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The church is one family. 
It was called into being and set apart by God himself. Now the word translated church in English is the Greek word, ekklesia, which literally means the called out ones. If you believe that the Father raised Jesus from the dead, if you have changed your mind about living for yourself by your own rules and desire to follow Jesus, confessing him as Lord of your life, if you have received the free gift of Christ offered by God, if you desire to live at peace with him, you have been called out of the world system and into the family of God. The scriptures refer to the church in a lot of different ways, um, comparing it to, to different things in order to convey to us this understanding that the church is not an organization or a structure, even though it has structure and organization, but it is something very alive, very organic. We're called a family. Uh, as in Ephesians 2.19, it says that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. We're called the beloved, like in Ephesians 1. Having foreordained us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, in which he did make us accepted in the beloved. And we're called the body of Christ. Like in Corinthians. Chapter 12 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now all these references and comparisons, like I say, are, are to show us church is something organic. Life is organic. Life is found in relationship with God and with each other. If you're a believer, you belong to Christ. And no one and no thing can ever change that. And in another comparison, Jesus speaks of his sheep, his flock. He's the great shepherd. In John chapter 10, he says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So another th essential thing that you should understand about the church is the Father gave us to the Son. The church is a gift of the Father to the Son. And Paul writes in his letter to the Roman church, I am convinced that neither death nor life, <clears throat> nor angels nor principalities, neither the present or the future, or any powers or any virus, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So even though we're very much living in the world, working in the world, if you belong to Christ, you are no longer, you no longer belong to Him. You're set apart from it. Jesus put it in this way. 
You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people camp under a basket, put it on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. Right now we're challenged because of current. But God has his purposes in all of this. Maybe one of the purposes of God is to remind us that we have brothers and sisters all over the world that don't have freedom to get together. We should pray for them. Um, in my own life, um, I think one of the things that this time apart is going to do is it's going to amplify my joy when I'm finally able to get back together with all of you. So that's the holy part, that we're set aside for God. We belong to Jesus. So what about the Catholic part? The, the creed says, I believe in the holy Catholic church. Well, the English word Catholic comes from the Latin Catholicus. And that word is derived from a Greek word, Catholicus. What it means is universal. So I made this statement earlier, and it's a very inclusive statement. It's what is meant by universal here. The church is collectively, universally, all those people in all places throughout all time that share in the forgiveness, the grace, and the love of God through faith in the works of Jesus Christ the Son. From God's perspective, there is only one church. There only ever has been one church. There only ever will be one church. Now, one particular part of the church decided historically to appropriate the word Catholic and capitalize it and attach it to itself in a very exclusive way. This has proven to be very unfortunate. But so, since so many associate the word Catholic exclusively with the Roman Catholic Church, it's, under, it's, it's important to understand that that's not its meaning. It means universal. It means all the people that God has called, all those who Jesus has purchased by his blood. So, are there, are there people that call themselves part of the church that are not? I would say, uh, yes, there are. And uh, throughout history, we've seen many examples of this. Jesus addresses it in Matthew 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done wonders in your name? And then the Lord says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Throughout history, there have been many good works done in the name of Jesus. And sadly, there have also been many atrocities done in his name. Now, the people that Jesus is addressing in Matthew 7 seem quite legitimate. They refer to Jesus as Lord. Check. They are doing good works in his name. Check. And yet, he rejects them. Why? Because they weren't seeking to do the will of God. He accuses them of lawlessness. They looked great on the outside, but these people were pursuing their own agenda. 
They were about doing their own thing. They were seeking their own glory. And though they paid lip service to Jesus, really Jesus was just their mascot. Jesus' accusation is, I never knew you, which focuses on the real issue. Christianity is about knowing Jesus, a living, resurrected Jesus, finding out what his agenda is, and in humility, seeking to follow and obey him. It's part of the Lord's Prayer where we say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Christianity is relational. It's not religious. The covenant, we like to describe our mission as to know Jesus and to make him known. And when we say no, we don't want to know more about Jesus. We want to know the resurrected Lord by his spirit. And that is the Jesus we want to make known. So it's not my desire at all to dwell on the negative, but it should be said that there is an enormous, powerful, very visible other thing which has grown up historically parallel to the church of Jesus Christ, which is in fact not his church. It is a counterfeit construction of the pride of men and has as its primary intention to enrich and glorify men, not God. This is very sad. And at the end of all things, this man-made thing will vanish in flames, as will every other thing that men have created to bring glory to themselves and not to God. Now, there's a lot more to be said um, about God's purpose and intention for the church and how you and I fit into that purpose and intention. The church is the custodian of the most wonderful good news from God. We are God's appeal for the world to return to him. We're the hands and feet of Jesus in the earth, demonstrating the love of God to the world. And you have a very important part to play in that. And I don't really have time to really focus on that, maybe some other time. So how does Jesus see the church? We previously mentioned that the church is compared to a family and a body. But there's another comparison we're given in Scripture, and it's the one that I really want to leave you with this morning. The church is the bride of Christ. In the book of Revelation, there's two little verses which are quite astonishing and wonderful. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. In Revelation 21.9, it says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So, 46 years ago, I looked down at the end of an aisle and I saw a beautiful bride uh, and my heart was greatly filled with joy. And there she is. It says in Ephesians, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife 
and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. The intimacy and the unity, the joy, indeed, mysterious. Stay faithful. Now, I still call Wendy my bride, which generally elicits a of incredulity and a little bit of an eye. But she can be forgiven. She can't see herself like I see her. And we have this church. We have a time seeing ourselves as Jesus sees us, as altogether beautiful, without fault, without blemish, his beloved one. And the joy that filled my heart on my wedding day is just a shadow of the joy that the Lord has over you, over his church. Verse in Hebrews says that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. If you take anything away from my message today, I want you to take to heart the fact that you are that joy. You, his bride, you, his church, are why he endured the cross and scorned the shame for you. You belong to him, and he belongs. And he longs to be with us just as we long to be with him. Lord, open our eyes to see ourselves as you see us, as your beloved, your bride. Unite us in love for you, for one another, and for a world that so desperately needs your forgiveness your love, and your healing. Help us, Lord, to be your hands and feet, to demonstrate your love by being a blessing to this community, and enable us to speak the truth in love and be ready to share the hope that we have in you. We pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen.